Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. We'll do IndyCar midseason grades a bit later on this episode. But joining us now on the guest line, it is Skip Barber. Skip, thanks so much for coming on this week. My pleasure. Now, Skip, your history as a race car driver is fascinating. Everyone just knows Skip Barber Racing School, but to talk about the the actual man, and, and it really goes all the way back to when you started racing, you were studying at Harvard to start your racing career. I was, but that really gives the wrong impression. You know, people think Harvard guys are wealthy. Um, I had no money, was on a full scholarship, and really scrounged to get my first race car, which was a bug eye Sprite, if you can believe that. <laughs> what, what, what could have been, Skip? You could have been a, a, an English professor somewhere, but I, I guess you had to settle for racing cars. Right, 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 right. Skip Barber uh, joining us, and we'll, we'll get to kind of more of the IndyCar connection a bit later on, but you went from racing, then you competed in SCCA, won three of those championships in a row, did the U.S. Road Racing Championship, uh, then won consecutive Formula 4 National Championships. But then things really kind of took it to the next level in your racing career at the start of the 71 season. Uh, you, you planned to race in U.S. Formula 5000, but instead an opportunity came forth for you to compete in Monaco. How did that come about? <laughs> I don't know if you remember March. were a very prominent car builder then mm-hmm. in England of single-seaters. They had started the year before, and they really wanted to run 5,000 with a Chevy-powered car in the U.S. They didn't have such a thing. So they said, why don't you run the three-liter car? They were very involved in this. They actually owned the car. Why don't you run a three-liter car, which you could then do in 5,000, by the old Mario and the car Mario drove for Andy Granatelli in 1970. Run that, and we'll build you a wonderful new car for the following year. Um, I ran that for about 40 minutes um, at the first race of the year at Riverside. I was passing Lou Self for the lead as the guy who was last decided to pass the guy who was next to the last next to last, and we had this huge four-car collision and ruined the car. Um, and that kind of ruined the beginning of that year. So March scrambled to build a three-liter Formula One car, which, as I said, you could run in 5,000. And we got that late. That's what went to Monaco. I'd never sat in a car before we went to Monaco. Not a good plan. Um <laughs> And and um, I was one of those guys. I hate to talk about myself so much, but I was one of those guys that was really good but never could put it together, um, if that makes any sense. I don't know who you would say is that guy in uh, IndyCar now. There must be somebody. Everybody knows he's good, but he's not going to win a championship. Who would that be? That's a that's a really good question as far as who's the guy who's really good. I mean, I guess at this point, Justin, would you say it's probably Rossi as far as a guy who's really good but hasn't won a championship? I'd throw Rossi out there. You could throw Romain Grosjean in there, I think, as well. So, uh, yeah, a couple of those guys that, that you know are good just can't just can't put it all together for sure. Yeah. Rossi, by the way, is a Skip Barber graduate. 
See, he's got that they're, going they're, for him. They're everywhere. So <laughs> you enter the race. They are everywhere. You, you hadn't sat in the car. Um, how how did kind of those early days, you know, making a handful of F one starts, you know, what was that experience like? It, it, did you ever feel like you had a shot, or were you just kind of like, this is incredible? Like I'm getting this opportunity. I'll tell you two stories, and I'm sorry if I take too long. What happened at Monaco? Um, it was extraordinarily hard to get accepted to that race. They were starting just 16 or 18 cars. I don't remember which. And a fair number more guys were running Formula One. And you couldn't get in. I got in. I was lucky. Um, And the structure of the weekend was there was an hour practice on Friday, practice and qualifying. Same thing on Saturday and then the race on Sunday. Friday, I got in the car and I couldn't get any gear. I mean, it would jam in every gear you tried. So I never got out on Friday. Saturday, it rained harder than I had ever seen. And I decided, what the heck, we're here. I'm going to go out and see where this tunnel I've heard about is. So when I went out and did three laps, and I must hold the lap record for slowest lap um, ever. Uh, Nobody else went out. Mario Andretti had problems on Friday, so he failed to qualify. And a couple other really fast guys failed to qualify. So that was the low spot. The high spot was the end of the next year, 72. There were five marches at Watkins Glen, which was the last race of the year. And I out-qualified Nicky Lauda and Ronnie Peterson in the factory marches. Henry Pescarola, um, Frank Williams had two drivers, one of them a Brazilian named Pache, who got, Carlos Pache, who got killed in a plane crash, was the only guy that out-qualified me. Um, and I thought I was going to do really well in that race. Um, and I lost the brakes really early and only realized months later we had never run that car with a full tank of fuel. <laughs> Skip, you never mentioned... Run it in a, never run it in a race that long. Wow. And uh, it only took about five laps. And uh, that was that. So I just trundled around waving people by. That was aggravating. Yeah, I imagine you look at, at that race, too. You mentioned how few few cars there were at Monaco. There was 30-plus that started that Watkins Glen race. That's correct. That's correct. How 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 crazy was that? Because we we're used to a custom, you know, twenty and and all that now. But but I guess to set the stage for us. Give us um, what Formula One was like in those early seventies, where there was so much more open regulations. Um, there were some obviously some brilliant guys. Uh, there were some that weren't so good that could buy their way in. Um, it was a real shock to me then to realize how many of the really good guys brought the sponsorship with them. Um, you know, it wasn't just slow guys that seemed to have a lot of money. Uh, it was very friendly. I mean, it was competitive. But, but um, I mean, those guys were going all over the world, uh, you know, together, basically, uh, they knew each other. They had raced against each other in lower formula. And even though they came from all over the world, many of them were friends. Skip Barber with us. And Skip, at the end of the 72 season, I mean, that was it for your F1 starts. 
were you trying to put a deal together for 73 or did you just know that this was kind of the end of the line for you? No, I, uh, March built the Chevy powered 5,000 car and sold a fair number. And I had the quote factory car, uh, and it was a disaster. Um, and we sent it back halfway through the year and that really destroyed my career. Auto Week picked me to win that series, and I guess I was as close to last as you could be. <laughs> uh, so, Skip, what was what was the mindset after your racing career ended? Did you look at it and say, "Okay, maybe I got to go out and, get, and actually get a job," or did you want to stay in racing? And when did kind of the Skip Barber Racing School kind of come to your mind and say, "Hey, this this could be something that that, that would be definitely advantageous," and why not me to get it started? I wanted to stay in racing. Uh, I called Porsche, and they arranged that um, I could drive a car in a few of the long-distance races each year. That wasn't really going anywhere. I did it. Um, And I decided to try a school. There were not a lot of schools then. Basically, there was Bob Bonder at Ontario um, and Jim Russell in Canada. Um, And I... I didn't really know if you could teach somebody to drive a race car um, till we tried it. I never expected to make a living doing it. And pretty quickly I learned that, yeah, you can teach somebody. Why would it be different than any other sport? You can really teach that. And I loved the process of, um, of being in business and of trying to organize a racing group where it was just about driver talent. Not who had the best car or the most or the cleverest mechanic, you know, or the best connections, just who could drive the car as the best. So everything we did from starting the school to eventually our pro series, which was called Barbara Dodge, um, was all based on equal cars. That was the whole concept. And starting this out, uh, was this easy to, to get? other racers who are interested in, in, in learning or was this kind of a, a more drawn out process to gauge the interest and get people interested in, in learning how to be a race car driver? Well, it started with um, guys that thought they wanted to go racing, but weren't yet. And then it quickly expanded into um, good guys that wanted to get better and guys that were already racing, this is a separate category, that weren't very good. I remember it was just our third year when I opened an envelope, which was a school application, and it was from Johnny Rutherford. And he was the first really good racing car driver to come to the school. And after that, we've had about a third of the field at Indy every year and a third of the Daytona 500. Skip, how do you come up with a curriculum to teach somebody how to drive a race car? Like, what, what's the introductory lesson when you're starting to teach people? And, and how do you build on it? How do you, how do you just create a curriculum like that? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, how, do you, how do you teach somebody to stay focused? But that's certainly what you have to do. Um, and you've got to start relatively slow so people are really thinking about what they're doing not 
trying to beat the guy beside them. Um, the hardest guy is the guy who has some experience and isn't any good, and you end up with a good-looking woman in the same class. <laughs> you know, and he's determined to show off. And sure. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't work. Um, the uh, You know, we've got, particularly at the beginning, some brilliant... Gary Bettenhausen would be a good example. Guys that are really good on dirt um, have never driven a road course. It's an entirely different deal, asphalt road course and dirt. I mean, the guys that were good on dirt had wonderful car control, but they didn't know where to put the car on the racetrack um, when it was an, a paved road course. Um and some of them, when they learned that, um, Jeff Gordon, good example, um, got really good, really fast. They could put the two together. But um, some of the guys were forever, you know, really impressing you going down the downhill at Bridgehampton, a track that's not around anymore, you know, 130 miles an hour and a little formula car sideways. It was spectacular but they didn't get within a yard of the apex. Um, you know, and we're slow as a result. I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and early on with, with drivers, you know, we were trying to go through the school. Was there a guy in, in all your years with the school that, or gal who was so impressive you thought this driver is going to be the next big thing and, and just for whatever reason it never seemed to pan out for them in their career? Slightly, I'll answer a slightly different question. Jeff Gordon, who really wanted to go road racing and really wanted to go indie car racing, um, was that guy. Um, the uh, yeah, he 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 was that he was that guy. Um, AJ Allmendinger. Um, was that guy, and he ended up, I think he was Rookie of the Year in CART, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it just didn't break right for him in terms of where he got rides. You know, and now he's unfortunately driving a stock car. He's really good. He came to us, he'd only done karting. That was pretty typical. Skip, when you look at... at uh when guys come in, how long does it take you, or, or is it an a, 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 an exact science where you can go, this guy or gal is is going to make it, and this guy and gal isn't? Is there is there any time you can make that determination internally, or do people still surprise you? Both. Um, I don't know if you know who Vic Elford is. He was an instructor for us, and he called me once after a school at what used to be called. Sears Point, now Sonoma Raceway, and said, man, we got a kid this week, this is a three-day school, who is really, really special. And that was Montoya. Um, you know, and he picked that up that fast. And Montoya did not have really much racing experience when he came to the school, if any. You can see it. And then there are guys that it just takes Ryan Hunter Ray, um, 
who has got to be pretty good. Um, it didn't come easy for him. You know, it came reasonably slowly, but he really stuck at it. He ran with us for years, and um, he's had a pretty decent career. Skip Barber with us, and you know, you you mentioned some of the alums, Juan Pablo Montoya among kind of the headliners, Ryan Hunter, Marco Andretti, Danica Patrick, AJ Allmendinger. You mentioned um, Andy Lally uh, among Joseph Newgarden, Alexander Rossi. Uh, is is there an alum? Uh, on the base where they really struggled when they were in Skip Barber, but then developed into the the person and the driver that you thought they could be? Yeah, this is going to sound really stupid. Absolutely. But I'll have to think of one. Um, that happened. Guys that really learned to do it who you didn't think Ryan's got a little bit of that. Didn't think um, maybe would ever make it, but they just kept working at it and working at it. You can do that. You can do that. You might not be a world champion, you know, or win the 500, but you can get pretty good, um, you know, if you're smart enough, try hard enough and have, obviously, you've got to have some talent. Um, we also had guys that were brilliant and didn't just the opposite. It didn't all fall in place for them. So they quit. That's hard to understand. Hard to watch. We had a guy named, it's a terrible thing to say, but he's died. Peter Kuhn. You probably don't remember him. Um, I think he, I don't know if he got past in the lights. He was brilliant. But he wasn't willing to give it, you know, five years of trying hard or ten. Skip Barber joining us here on the podcast. And and Skip, and when you look at the landscape of, of auto racing, motor racing, and the process it takes to get from karting and Skip Barber all the way to the apex of motorsport, when you started in the mid-70s with this to now, has the process Change dramatically? Do you still see similarities between the 70s and now, or is it completely different? You know, it's certainly not worse. People, <laughs> that, people that aren't as old as me think it was easy, quote, in the beginning. No. Um, I think actually a young guy with a lot of talent has a better chance of ending up being successful now um, than he did in the 60s or 70s. Um, I, I, I really believe that. A, a, uh, there's enough opportunities to go racing that don't cost a tremendous amount of money. Um, uh, Santino Ferrucci, um, school graduate, he has no resources. Um, but he's kind of doing okay. Um, he's found people. There was no question he had the talent. He has found people to help him. Being a good salesman certainly helps. You've got to be bad. Well, and that's, would, that's an element of racing that I think has kind of changed over the years and, and as 
uh, racing seems to go younger and younger as far as the, the drivers getting opportunities. Do you think that's a good thing because drivers are, are ready and, and maybe more talented? Or is that kind of something that's a cautionary tale for racing with hiring younger guys who are less experienced but have gone up through the ranks with a lot of hype? Well, the problem is, in my opinion, it's easier to start earlier in Europe. And you get all these guys coming into IndyCar that nobody ever heard of that are really good. I mean, that whole field, I think, I mean, I haven't, you know, been on the racetrack with any of them, but it sure appears to me that that field is deep and so many of them are not Americans. Um, They've had so much more experience by the time they're 18. That's, and I don't know how you fix that over here. Skip, when you look at, uh, at what you've accomplished and, and now do you, do you still, You'll catch every IndyCar race, catch every Formula One race. How much uh, racing are you consuming now? Um, a lot. A lot. Um, it drives me nuts that Formula One is getting so popular because of Netflix. And IndyCar racing, which in my opinion is so much better and makes so much more sense, is not. I mean, if, if you were to say we are, you know, you and me, we're IndyCar guys, um, we're not doing real well, you know, in terms of, uh, you, well, you're in the Midwest. I mean, IndyCar is much stronger there than on the two coasts. And on the coast, people are watching F1 races, you know, and seeing one pass an event. And the same winner every race, is for sure. Well, there's that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you go in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there and, something with, within IndyCar, and, and obviously you have the cars are, are, are all the same, you do have Honda and Chevy, but is part of it just that IndyCar is, is promoted the racing as opposed to the stars, and F1 is more about the star drivers and the, the personalities? Like what... What do you think is separating the two right now uh, that was not there, you know, before Drive to Survive on Netflix just a couple years ago? Well, think back to the glory days of CART. I don't even know if you guys were around then. It, oh, yeah. It, it looked like CART would o- overtake Formula One, you mm-hmm. know, as CART was reaching out um, across the ocean. Um you know, and there was no question about the talent level being as good and the racing being better. Um, I I don't know what's wrong, if you will. I have huge respect for Roger Penske. Um, the, uh, but it drives me nuts that they're just two engine suppliers and there aren't bigger television audiences. And I can't, I don't know why. It's uh, it's a great question. <laughs> we, as, as IndyCar guys ourselves, it is kind of hard to to understand. And, and obviously you can go into the politics of the, of the split and everything, but, but still, you know, here we are 15 years later and it, it feels like it's 
it's recovered from the low points of, of 20 years ago, but still yes. it's just kind of stuck in neutral. With terrific racing. Um, the, I don't think the car's a problem. You know, yeah, it's a 10-year-old car, but I think it looks great. Um, you know, it's smaller than a Formula One car. It, it's, it's not lighter. Well, maybe it is lighter. It is lighter. And it's smaller, and I think it looks better. Like a Formula One car with all the stuff hanging off the car um, doesn't look so great. Skip Barber joining us. Skip, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we appreciate the time, and uh, uh, thanks so much for sharing a bit about your career and how you went from uh, just a, a guy studying at Harvard, racing on the weekends, to an F1 driver, to now... Uh, known worldwide for the Skip Barber Racing School. Thanks for having me, and you guys take care. Again, thanks to Skip Barber, the man himself, joining us. Time now for our IndyCar midseason grades. Now, yes, I get it. We're eight races in. Mid-Ohio is ninth, but when you have 17, you have a natural stopping point on the schedule before a flurry of races to come, starting with Mid-Ohio, the next handful of weeks. What is it, like four races in in the the next five weeks right so you this is a Some natural flurry natural stopping point i i think on the schedule so time for our indycar grades again this is only for full season teams based on full season driver results just to keep it fair right if, if you're yes. just doing a handful of races uh not really factoring in so uh let's start at the top and I think it's it's obvious. Chip Ganassi Racing, I'm going to give them an A based on their performance. You have one, two, and four, or excuse me, one, two, and five in the championship standings. Uh, and then obviously the, the ride share between Takuma Sato and Marcus Armstrong. But Marcus Armstrong has been as advertised. He's the, the rookie of the year leading candidate right now. A couple of top tens, a couple of 11th place finishes. A team unfortunately hurt him at, at Road America uh, the other week where he was leading laps and, and had an opportunity, wasn't called into pit, but Chip Ganassi Racing has been as advertising for below to, to have won three races. Uh, Erickson won the season opener. This team's on an absolute tear. They are. We, we keep questioning what Chip Ganassi does for next season and beyond, but there's no doubting their effectiveness this season. And Alex Pillow running away with the championship right now Scott Dixon has been solid. Marcus Erickson has been good. And Marcus Armstrong, I'm a bit of a surprise that he's not getting the nod for the rest of the ovals because I know that Chip Ganassi is keen on seeing him in the ovals. Maybe financially it didn't work for whatever reason or Sato brought a little bit more. Who knows? Because a lot of those decisions come down to dollars and cents. And I think he showed enough promise to get a full-time ride with the team next season. So... We don't hand out A's willy-nilly here on the podcast, but I think it's difficult to not give this team an A so far through the first half of the season. Yeah, I think that's the most obvious team that's the A. Next on the list, Team Penske. I'm going to go A-. minus. Obviously, you bump it up because of winning the Indy 500 and Joseph Newgarden getting over the hump there. Scott McLaughlin winning a race as well on the schedule. Will Power, defending champ, winless, but still top 10 in points. A couple of podium finishes. 
they're right there. Um, Ganassi's just been on a different level, and I, I think that's the only only thing separating kind of these teams and just the fact that Polo himself has won three races already this year. Um, I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna go on a B plus for Penske just because we hold them in such high regard, and just two drivers in the top seven in points as of right now is a bit disappointing for me. Willpower without a win is disappointing for me. Uh, but Joseph Newgarden, of course, winning Indy, winning both ovals thus far. He's been tremendous. Scott McLaughlin, I think consistency has been an issue for him. He has the win at Barber, but other than that, he has zero top fives outside of Barber. So I think for Scott McLaughlin, you'd like to find more consistency in getting top fives, podiums, and of course wins, and then the struggles of willpower. He's been on the podium twice but has also finished uh, out of the top 10 on four different occasions. So I'm giving a B-plus for Team Penske so far this season. Moving on down the list with our driver grades, or excuse me, team grades, halfway through the 2023 NCT IndyCar Series season. Next team on the list, as far as we're we're just kind of going in order by biggest to smallest teams, right? So uh, let's go Andretti Autosport. This one's kind of tough for me. They have the win with Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, we've seen Colton Herta should have had the win at Road America. Uh, Roman Grosjean has been boom or bust. And then Devlin DeFrancesco. It's, there has been some improvement uh, in, in qualifying, but no top tens. This one's hard to grade because there's just a range of, of drivers. We've seen Kirkwood be a guy who I think has, has been the driver this year that I think we thought we were going to get last year. Um, obviously still inconsistent at times, but overall he's, he's shown great pace. That's not been an issue for him. And he, he's clearly adapted to that ride uh, with Andretti. I'm going to go though, a B minus just because only one race win. they have all those pole positions, but only one race win, and, and it's been boomer bust for, it seems like the whole team this year. I'm going to be a little bit more harsh and go with C um, because one race win by Kyle Kirkwood um, Colton Herta has zero podiums. Roman Grosjean has two podiums, and those are also his only two top tens this season. Devlin V. Francesco has been a non-factor, and so overall, one team win through the first half of the season for four full-time drivers, three of which we feel are capable of winning any week of the season. Um, uh, and you have only one guy in the top 10 in points. You have zero guys in the top eight in points. It has not been a good season for Andretti Autosport, in my opinion. You look at it, last year they got two overall wins and nobody finished in the top eight in in the uh, final standings. I think this is beginning a trend to Andretti Autosport and when we talk about big three, that gap between Andretti and Aero McLaren is getting smaller and smaller. Smaller. I don't think, and we'll get to Arrow here in a minute, hasn't um, maybe met their expectations either. But the fact of the matter is, is Andretti Autosport doesn't have it right now. And their top driver doesn't even have a podium this year. Their so-called second driver has only two top tens. And then Kyle Kirkwood, which you thought would maybe need a year of seasoning, is the only guy that has a win. Oh, and that's his only top five of the season is that win at Long Beach. So I think C, and that may be being kind to Andretti. Let's get to McLaren. And this one's really tough because 
in the points championship, they're doing pretty well. All three drivers in the top 12, two in the top uh, top seven with, with Pato in fourth, Rossi in seventh. But the problem is they didn't win the Indy 500. That was clearly a goal. They haven't won, they haven't any won race. a race. <laughs> um, this is tough to grade because you have Pato in fourth, Rossi in seventh, Rosenquist in 12th in points. You have six combined podiums. Uh, you have Rosenquist getting the pole at, at Texas for the second straight year, uh, which also for the second straight year didn't really mean anything for the race. And uh, you have what happened to Indy with, with Pato and Felix with winning cars. I mean, cars very capable of winning that race, crash out. And Rossi with a car that was never really in the hunt, but just kind of hung around. He finished fifth. This one's hard for me because, again, a lot of podiums, right? But they don't have the race wins. I'm going to go a C with McLaren. I can't give them any credit for Indianapolis because they didn't win. I don't care about top threes, top fives, top tens. You didn't win the race. And you had three drivers that could have won it, and you didn't. Not only did you not win the Indianapolis 500, you haven't won a single race all season. Um, I'm going to be harsh. I think it's a D for McLaren because the expectations set preseason and, oh, this was the year that McLaren was really going to break out, and they haven't. And you have just one guy in the top five in points uh, or one top one guy in the top six in points. Um, you grade some of these on a curve because the expectations are reality. You could say that expectations and reality has been the biggest difference between those two for Arrow McLaren than any team in the paddock so far through the first half of the season. This was a team that we said, okay, they have three guys that are that can win a race, three guys that are going to pe- compete each and every week. They could make a run at a championship with at least Pato Award, and you're not seeing it. I mean, yeah, Pato's fourth in the in the championship, but he still has not shown me the maturity to consistently bring home top tens to challenge for a championship. It's boomer bust with Pato Award. It's very similar to Romain Grosjean. I, I think there's a realistic, well, I think you can make a lot of comparisons this season between Pato Award and Romain Grosjean, but those aren't being com- do, done so because... Pato is a lot more cordial and uh, friendly, I guess, with his teammates and and drivers in the paddock than Romain Grosjean is. But they drive a similar style in the sense that either they're, it's all or nothing. And that's a problem for Pato Award. The other two guys haven't been effective enough, Rosenquist and Rossi. It's a D-plus for me for Errol McLaren. I mean, with, with Pato Award, it's been top four or it's been... Not even Back top of the field. 15. Yeah. Uh, with Roman Grosjean, he at least has a couple of, of mid-level finishes, you know, an, an 11th in the GP, a 14th at, at Texas where he crashed out late, where he was battling, you know, in the top top three, top five positions there. So uh, with, with, with McLaren, I'm only giving them the benefit because they have so many podiums and the fact that they do have two of the three drivers in the top 10 in points, Rosenquist knocking on the door. Th- this is a critical stretch for this team. If they want to get back in the championship hunt, win races, uh, look, I, I'm honestly shocked that there are zero race wins with this group halfway through the season. And, you know, you talk about it all the time, but it's true. When it comes down to the end of the day, you're not beating Penske and Ganassi. And, and you have to do everything right. And part of it is they have one driver who has been in championship battles, you know, before with a different team and Rossi coming over. And he's still learning the new team. And he seems to be getting better each week as far as kind of finding his footing there. Then Pato Award, it's boomer bust. Rosenquist, boomer bust. 
Um, the, the talent's there with the drivers, right? All three of these guys are, are capable of winning a race. All, all three of them are, are capable of winning multiple races. Um, but at some point, you have to get the results. Now, does that come this week in Mid-Ohio? Possibly. I don't know. But remember last last year, right? It, it was looking like they were going to get the results. And then and everything went, went, went down downhill with mechanical issues. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. When you look at Andretti Autosport, they're leaving the door open with their lack of performance for Aero McLaren to ascend to that number three spot in the series, and they're not taking advantage of it. They're not They're not doing that. So as disappointing as Andretti has been, I look at McLaren as a bigger disappointment through the first half. All right, continuing on with our teams, and next on the list is Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing, and I, I don't know how to go any other route than an F. <laughs> I, I agree. Like, uh, Christian Lungard is, has been... D- decent i mean he's but he's 11th in points this is a guy who we thought going into this year could win a race could compete you know in the top 10 in points and and i get it he's only two points out of the top 10 he's a a lone bright spot but graham ray hall has struggled all year uh just two top 10 finishes he's 17th in points uh jack harvey he's all the way back in 25th and graham ray hall obviously failed to qualify for the 5500 and and filled in for Stefan Wilson, but just between the Indy 500, that's an F. The overall season's an F. I get that they're at least getting better as far as qualifying pace, but race pace seems to be iffy uh, for them as well. I mean, Lungard can qualify well, but he doesn't seem to have the pace in, in the races that the strategy calls. I mean, just overall, it's been a mess, and hopefully for this team uh, coming to mid-Ohio and just having a bit of a break, they can continue to find their way up the grade, but I, I can't give them a- anything better than an F. I, I, I really can't. I will go a D minus because I think you've seen enough from Christian Lungard in year two of being a full-time driver that he can be a decent driver in this series. I, I think you can build around Christian Lungard. I look elsewhere in this series, in this team, you're not obviously... You can't build around um, Jack Harvey. In my opinion, you can't build around Graham Rahal, even though it's his dad's team. Uh, but I think you look at Christian Lungard, and he could be the alpha at this team, given the resources. He is trending better than he did la- a year ago. You, He came on late last year with the runner-up at the Indy Road Course, some top 10s at Laguna Seca and Nashville. I think he's a guy that could improve upon his 14th place points finish from last year if he continues on the the way he's going right now. It's not great, but I also think you look at Christian Lungard as a guy that could have a future with this team long term if they're able to turn things around. So I will give them a benefit of the doubt by not being a complete dumpster fire. It's a rager, but it's not out of control yet. And I'll give them a D minus. I can't believe I'm the one who who went tougher right yeah i know well it's it we're evening each other out here between the two of us i i just i i i can't i get it that lungard's been a bright spot but we thought this is a guy who could contend for multiple race wins and he's still sitting outside the top 10 in points i thought he was a, a top 10 guy obviously graham ray hall has struggled this year no doubt jack harvey struggled this year no doubt and just between the indy 500 and the disaster that that was for the entire team yeah not just you know graham missing the race or, or jack struggling to get it. I mean, the entire team is a disaster. So it's just, it's hard for me to even 
to even go above a you know a a, a D minus or, or anything like that. It just all around was bad. They had no pace at Indy. The qualifying pace is improving, but they're still really struggling in that aspect. So there's a long way to go. They made some changes with the team mid season, which tells you how much they've struggled, and we'll see how it plays out. Moving on, as we're now kind of in the quote-unquote midfield stretch of teams in IndyCar. We have, what, Meyer Shank Racing, Foyt, Ed Carpenter, Hunkos all left. So let's start Coin, with yeah. Coin. Let's start with Meyer Shank. And unfortunately for this team, it has been another rough uh, season. Zero top tens for Simon Pagino. He's sitting 24th in points. Elio Castroneves, 20th in points, just one top 10 at Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, it, it, Indy, Elio led some laps, but it was never a factor. 15th for him. Simon Pagino, 25th, caught up in a crash. And unfortunately for this team, I feel like it's it's gone from bad to worse as the season has gone on. And I, I don't feel like I have a choice to give them anything better than an F, honestly. It's went from bad from worse, even from 2022 to 2023. They were bad last year. And Simon Pagino finished 15th in points. And right now he's 25th in points. It's the... You gave an F out to Ray Hall. I didn't, but I think we're both in agreement that it's an F here. You have a technical alliance with Andretti, so you shouldn't be this bad. Is it the drivers? Is it the engineers? Is it whatever? I do think you have two drivers that are significantly past their prime year in, or race in and race out. Elio, you can still put in a seat and compete at the 500. I think you can do the same with Simon, but these are two guys whose best days in the sport are behind them. And it's clear if you had one of these guys and a young driver, then maybe you could make a case, but this hasn't worked. It didn't work last year. And it's been even worse in 2023. Big fat F for Meyer Shank. We fully expect Tom Blomquist to be one of the drivers in, in the seat. I think the ultimate question is, are there two new drivers and then you keep Elio as a third entry for the 500? I think that makes sense. I would like to see Meyer Shank hire a veteran driver for that second seat if you do Blomquist in there or if it's a Blomquist-Lundquist type combination. I don't know if I want two rookies. I don't want to go from two established veterans, Indy 500 winners, blah, 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 to two guys that are learning on the fly yeah. as IndyCar rookies. Yeah, you want some experience. In fact, I think that statement dovetails perfectly to the next team I want to grade, and that's Dale Coin Racing. You have David Malukas in his second year. It came off a strong run last year at the end of the season uh, with Dale Coin Racing, where you had the, the second, obviously, at Gateway. You had top 10s across the board uh, at Mid-Ohio and, and Iowa last year, and he was competitive. 16th at Indy after a crash, had to drive back through the field. This year, though, it's it's been a disaster for David Malukas as he sits all the way back 19th in points behind Marcus Armstrong who has missed two of the races Stingray Rob 27th no top 10s uh, for Malukas you have the 4th at Texas but since the first two races of the year 10th is AP 4th at Texas he's finished 19th or worse in every race Stingray Rob it's it's been a struggle from the get go as a rookie it's a cautionary tale right of having a young team and it just has not gone well. In fact, Malukas, what, four straight DNFs now? So it's been a very rough run. Well, it's a, it's a team that relies a lot on drivers bringing money, and Malukas has done it, and but 
Stingray Rob has done it as well. I just never thought that Stingray Rob did enough in the ladder to prove himself to be in an in any car seat other than bringing money. And unfortunately, that's kind of where you're at with Stingray Rob is you have a guy that's that's in over his head. I don't know if if he ever finds it. He could definitely be a, a one and done type driver in IndyCar. Hard to grade based, you know, on expectations. I'm not going to go an outright F, but I'm going to go D minus. I'll go a D because I have such low expectations anyway for coin that it's not a big surprise to me. They're at where they're at, but you would hope that David Malukas at the very least can finish in the leader circle money. Um, Right now he's 19th, but he needs to dig himself out of the hole that he's done 19th or worse in five straight races entering, uh, no, six straight because Road America, right? Yeah. So uh, entering mid-Ohio this weekend. So it's been a struggle for David Malukas. Meanwhile, Ed Carpenter Racing, a, a team who, entering the season, you thought, okay, can Renus VK return to form like he was 2021, first half of 2022, before that bike accident? Uh, unfortunately for him, just one top 10, that's at the Indy 500 where he led laps. But let's be honest, without that pit lane incident, you're, you're thinking a much better result was possible um, for him. Connor Daly gets replaced. He had just one top 10 and eighth at Indy. He gets replaced after Detroit. Ryan Hunter Ray steps in 17th uh, at Road America in his first race after crashing and qualifying, moves up 10 spots. You have Ed Carpenter, who is just kind of there, 13th at Texas, a 20th at Indy. He was caught up in that late crash with Benjamin Peterson on the main straight. Overall, um, I, I feel like I'm giving out a lot of Fs. <laughs> but it's hard for me to F not give again, out huh? an, another F here. Man, um, I'm a little bit more kind to Ed Carpenter racing, and maybe that's because I'm looking at what the second half could be. When you look at uh, Renus VK, is he's lacked that driver that can give him... Uh, he lacks a driver that's a veteran presence next to him. Um, last year it was Connor Daly. Uh, this year it was Connor Daly. Uh, the year before it was Connor Daly, right? Because Connor Daly did all yeah. the road, road and street course that year. Reus VK hasn't had a dude to really bounce ideas off experience-wise. I just don't think Connor Daly, while he has been around, you're not looking at him as an established veteran that can help a rookie. And now I think when you look at having Ryan Hunter Ray in the fold, and even just in that one race road america is renus vk comes in 12th and you're thinking maybe that can continue and can battle more for consistent top tens with an experienced driver like ryan hunter ray not only helping renus vk directly but indirectly with better feedback to the car so they can make more improvements better improvements across the team because we know renus vk isn't exactly the best guy to take a car and diagnose what needs to be done and then make changes. Ryan Hunter Ray is a different animal in that respect. And I think that can help the entire team, including VK. And I think this is a team to watch in the second half of the season. I'm not saying all of a sudden they're competing for wins, but I think they can start showing some promise over the second half with those two drivers. Continuing on with our grades. Did I ever grade them? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I don't think I ever grade them. I will give them a D plus. Okay. Where I'm at. Hunkos Hollinger Racing. Augustine Canapino comes in as a rookie. We don't know a lot about him. Very experienced in Argentina, but not with 
single seater, you know, open wheel cars. Two twelfths to to start off. He's faded a bit, uh, been caught up in in some stuff. Uh, not really necessarily his fault, but this is a guy who's been on the mark. He, he's he's not off the pace like a second second and a half like we expected entering the season. He's staying out of trouble for the most part, you know, when he can. Um, and yes, there aren't top ten finishes, and he's twenty third in points, but he has been way better than I think we would have expected going in. Meanwhile, on the flip side, Callum Eilat. Start of the year strong. It's been hit or miss really ever since. It feels like if we would have graded this before the Indy 500, we're talking about like a BB plus. But now, I think with Ilot 14th in points, uh, they just parted ways with, with two of their engineers in IndyCar as part of restructuring. Almost seems like they've hit a midseason slump. I'm going to go a C minus. I'm going to go a little bit better. I'm going to go a C. I, I think maybe we expected more from Callum Ilot. This season, we expected a hell of a lot less from Augustine Canapino. Absolutely. Uh, that's for sure. So when you look at, at, at Cal Mayotte and said, okay, in year two, we'd like to see a market improvement. And right now he's in, what is he, in points? 14th, 14th. which is a considerable Mid-pack. improvement from last year. So he's on the upswing. And he's on the radar for some of the uh, with some of the top teams next year. I, I think the goal for the second half of the season is if Agustin Canapino can continue this and finish in both drivers in the leader circle. And I think when you look at Canapino now 22nd in standings as a as of right now, we 23rd. Headed, is he 23rd? Yeah. Uh yeah, I guess with the with the tiebreaker with De Francesco, they're both at 236. At least that's what I look at with on IndyCar.com, but um or in the IndyCar app I've been very impressed with Hunkos and what they've been able to do overall. They're taking an incremental step forward, and that's what you need to do when you're a small team, and now they have an infusion of cash, and you're seeing that consistency out of both teams, particularly, or both both rides, particularly Canapino, that we didn't expect. So I'm going to be a little bit more kind and give him a C. Final team on the docket, AJ Foy Enterprises. Benjamin Peterson, a rookie, fastest rookie at Indy. Meanwhile, uh, Santino Ferrucci coming in full season, the podium at Indy, but the problem is outside of that, no top tens. Uh, Peterson's best finish on the year was a 15th at Texas. So they've been relatively clean on the ovals and it was a great month of May, but a month of May does not make the entire grade. I think Ferrucci's a guy who you feel like if he can contend outside the 500, you know, can they make those gains in qualifying and they're, they're getting there. You know, obviously Indy 500, they're impressive all month, right? But beyond that, it's kind of an incomplete. So looking at this team, Ferrucci 16th in points, um, I, I got to go a B minus. Going that high, huh? Yeah. Well, when, you're, when your expectations are so low, any type of movement is impressive. And when you look at it right now, Benjamin Peterson has struggled tremendously. And we know there was... Uh, you know, money that came in from Benjamin Peterson. He's a necessary evil in, in terms of what the money he's bringing right now. He's a rookie, so some of it you can write off, but it's also not as if Benjamin Peterson was bringing big accolades into the series. Um, I mean, he finished fifth in Indy Lights last year. So this is a guy that that's won in the ladder in terms of championships. So, but he has given the, the team an infusion of, of cash and capital. And I think that helps tremendously when you're trying to climb out of the hole that Foyt has found itself in the last couple of years, they've shown signs of growth. 
I want to see them continue to build off what they did in the first half. We're, we're getting far, farther, far enough away from Indianapolis to say, okay, what do you do with that momentum? And let's see it put into practice. And I think Santino Ferrucci fits that team perfectly in terms of his aggressiveness, his driving style, his personality. Um, there's a bit, a bit of super techs in him, you know, that grinds other drivers the wrong way. And he's going to do whatever it takes to get results for him and his team. And there's something to appreciate there. I think that's a great fit. Hopefully it continues for multiple seasons. And if they continue to, to, to grow and, and that's what we've seen. We've seen teases over the years of, of Foyt making headway. They just need to make it consistent. And I think the second half of the season will be important for consistency going into next season, both on the track and in the sponsorship realm. And that wraps up our midseason grades for IndyCar with the full-time teams. If you agree or disagree, we'd uh, love for you to interact with us. You can find us, NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list. It is free to subscribe. Also, check out the store. We have t-shirts and stickers for sale there. Uh, You can follow us on social media, IndyCar Podcast, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, search for New Track Record. New Track Record Podcast at gmail.com is uh, the email address. Patreon.com slash New Track Record. Thanks to Xavier Robstitch and others for their support each and every week. Patreon.com slash New Track Record. That's how you can support us there. And as always, follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Overcast, CastBox, wherever you find your podcast, but not Stitcher because they're no apparently... Stitcher? They're apparently shutting down their podcasting arm in August. So something to keep in mind. Time to preview the mid-Ohio sports car course race this weekend. The Honda 200 coming up this weekend. And the schedule for IndyCar this weekend. So again, you'll have practice Friday. Uh, 305 to 420 Eastern, Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio, all the usual outlets. Practice 2, Saturday morning, 945 to 1045 Eastern. Qualifying 245 to 415, Saturday afternoon. And then for the race itself, the 1 to 130 is pre-race for the radio uh, affiliates, IndyCar Radio, Sirius XM. And then 130 to 4 o'clock Eastern, USA this weekend, also Peacock, IndyCar Live, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio uh, for the race this weekend. Green flag, approximately 145 Eastern. Will it go head-to-head with the Chicago street race? No, no, because that is later in the day. Nice. All right. Well, that's good. Don't have to worry about that. I think there are a lot of curious eyes. I know you and I are curious on how that looks. I'm not really interested. I am interested in how it races because I don't expect that to be very, very great, but I do think it's a unique thing that here in our backyard in, in Chicago, where we never thought ever they would have a street race. There actually are. Uh, I think hopefully it looks good and plays well on television. I don't expect it to be a thing that continues long-term or even into a second year. One and done. But um, I think it's going to be cool to see. And, and, it's a unique opportunity, and uh, I'm glad that I don't have to try to flip back and forth between IndyCar and Cup. No, certainly not. Favorite for this weekend for IndyCar. I, I feel like this <laughs> one's so wide open. No, I'm going Alex Pillow. I mean, I, I'm picking Alex Pillow until he shows me that his winning streak is over, that his, that his hot streak is over. I don't care what track it is. I don't care previous 
experience, whatever, uh, Alex Pillow, I would love to see him as much as we moan and groan about F1 and Max Verstappen for good reason if Alex Pillow just started absolutely destroying this field because I think he's already on his way to doing that. If it continues, I, it brings up a fascinating storyline to watch, a, a three-way battle for Alex Pillow, so to speak, because if he continues to win, does that be make him a more uh, desirable driver to make the jump to Formula One for a Williams or an Alpha Tauri for next season? Uh, if that doesn't happen, does Chip Ganassi raise the money that he's throwing at uh, Alex Blow to try to keep him? And if he does go to McLaren next year, is that finally the guy that pushes McLaren over the top to compete for championships and compete for Indianapolis 500s. And I think if that storyline would be fascinating to watch, if Alex below continues to own this field, like he has so far this year, I'm going to go with, ah, this is tough. I'm going to go with willpower to turn it around. I, I He's got to like get I a keep, win at some point. Yeah, right? I feel like I keep picking him, but, Scott Dixon's uh, got to get a win at some point. Yeah. Dixon, uh, three key stats for Mid-Ohio from Chad 200 on Twitter. Dixon, six wins, 13 top fives, 261 laps led. Just one podium in the last nine races here. Remember, they did do a double header in 2020. Um, Will Power, nine front row starts, seven podium finishes, and 15 starts. Rossi, sixth, first, fifth, third, second, fifth, sixth of the last seven races there. So a couple of names to keep in mind, but I will go Will Power. Uh, for this weekend and you mentioned Alex Pillow so time for news and notes and silly season stuff so first off this came down this morning as we record Wednesday morning this uh, obviously got to translate the tweet here but uh, F1 wants Alex Pillow this from Pedro for mini F1 uh, the agreement with McLaren F1 has releases uh, release clauses at the end of July so through the end of the month they've not yet confirmed the next FP1 Suzuka or Austin uh, Alpha Tauri Williams Alfa Romeo and Haas already in contact with Alex Blow's representatives. Well, here's the interesting thing. And Nathan Brown broke this down in a great article, Indy star Mm -hmm. earlier this week about the timing of that. So he can't sign with McLaren until what? The end of July officially for next year. Yes. But the summer break for F1 happens after that happens in August, right? Yeah. So it it basically happens that same weekend. Okay. Their F1 has a race, then you have the summer break. And so as far as getting a contract in F1, I mean, good luck, because that's when he's released from his McLaren contract would be July 30th um, in, in F1 summer break. When does it start? After the July 30th race weekend. And that's usually when stuff starts ramping up for silly season in Formula One for, t- for, for 2024. So is there a scenario where Alex Pillow doesn't sign that contract until he has more clarity with Formula One. Yeah, they're at Belgium that weekend. Because he hasn't signed anything with, with McLaren yet. That's no, not, just, not as far as an IndyCar contract, no. Right. So, could we see Alex Pillow bide his time and say, no, I'm not going to sign any contract until I know exactly what's on the table next year for Formula One? Does he wait until you know later on in the season? Because look, everyone he doesn't have to worry about a timeline because... Everyone wants him. Right, yeah. Ganassi wants him back. Yes. McLaren wants him. Several F1 teams have inquired, obviously, and he's, he's trying to 
to go out there. In fact, Nathan Brown in his article in the Indy Star talking about silly season stuff and and everything hinges on Alex Pillow, right? You talk about Marcus Erickson, but Alex Pillow, with this not necessarily being as done of a deal as we thought as far as going to McLaren, uh, Brown saying that uh, offers for Pillow from Ganassi, a last-ditch effort, reached $4 million per year. Now, I, I've been told that Scott Dixon's paid $5 million a year, to put that in perspective. So they're trying to counter at the last second, but his... Uh, Monaco increased management team, which is, is, is his team is trying to get him a, a slot. He's 26 years old. This is make or break as far as having an F1 seat in his career. Uh, you have Nick DeVries at Alpha Towery, Logan Sargent at Williams in his first year, probably, you know, guys potentially in the block. Haas s- says they want to keep both their drivers. Um, we'll see how this plays out. But with the, the deadline, uh, Zach Brown knew what he was doing on drawing up the contract and is going to make it tough for Pillow as far as how this will play out. You know, people say, well, man, you go to Formula One, you're going to make a, a hell of a lot more money than $4 million a year. Not necessarily. No. The lower tier teams like Williams, um, and this is estimations, Logan Sargent's being paid a million dollars this year to race for Williams. Alex Albon's being paid $3 million. To race for Williams. So if there's an open seat at Williams, he may have to take a pay cut to go to Formula One. Okay. So not everybody's making $50 million like Max Verstappen. Okay. So that's the thing is people assume going over to Formula One is going to be a large payday. Not necessary. It's necessarily. Even uh, Oscar Piastri, Piastri only making $2 million from McLaren. Um, so you look at ha- Haas and Nico Hulkenberg only making a couple million dollars at at uh at Haas. So it's not a guarantee that you're making more money in Formula One. So that's the debate. But Alex Pillow wants to go to Formula One, regardless of what the salary is. He feels like he's a guy that if he gets a chance at a lower tier team can make an impact and and move up into one of the top teams at some point. Regardless of what the salary is, he's going to go to Formula One if the opportunity is there. But don't assume just because he has the avenue to Formula One means that he's making exponentially more money than he will next year in IndyCar because that's just not accurate. Meanwhile, Brown saying they are not at McLaren, not planning to do the fourth uh, full-time car in 2024. A uh, part of that just due to shop space. And then there's Marcus Harrison and Felix Rosenquist, the two Swedes looking elsewhere for a top ride. Rosenquist uh, will have options. Uh, we, we mentioned Andretti as a possibility for Marcus Harrison. My guess is it'd also be the same for Felix Rosenquist uh, as Plo would, if he goes to McLaren, would take Rosenquist's seat. Um, and then from there, it's you have Andretti, Meyer Shank Racing, Rahel Lennerman Lanigan Racing, as far as options on the table. But for Erickson, I mean, it, it just depends if he can get an offer. And look, the the we forgot to talk about this on the podcast, but it was shocking when Townsend Bell said that Marcus Erickson didn't even have a backup car right. at Road America. Yeah. Shocking. Dixon has a backup. Pelo has a backup. Erickson doesn't have a backup, which is astounding to me. Uh, Chip Ganassi is in a, in, a, in a tough position because they're still holding out hope that they can sign Alex Pelo, right? And further evidence of that was in Nathan Brown's article this mm-hmm. week. So they've, only, oh, they've almost put... Marcus Erickson kind of on the back burner, so to speak, because the priority is Alex Pillow. But 
you would think once they definitively know Alex Pillow is a 0% chance of him coming back, all those resources will then go towards Marcus Erickson. But if this is dragged out too long and somebody else swoops in and offers Marcus Erickson something mega, then you're in danger of losing both of them. So that's a challenging spot for for Chip Ganassi. They want either way some closure on what Alex Pillow is going to do. And if Alex Pillow ex- extends that deadline because he's waiting to see what opens up in Formula One, that then puts Chip Ganassi also on on wait on standby, and they can't move forward with Marcus Erickson because this is this is a team that can't offer five million that cannot pay five million dollars for Scott Dixon, four million dollars to um, Alex Pillow, and let's say three million dollars to Marcus Erickson. That's just not realistic for Chip Ganassi, but that's kind of what he's being presented right now if he wants to ensure that he holds on to both. And even $4 million right now isn't going to be enough to hold on to Alex Pillow. He may have to approach $5 million to keep him in the Chip Ganassi stable. And I think that's just part of the problem, right? It, there's not enough money to go around. You're going to need more money. And uh, where it gets crazy in the article, so Marcus Erickson told Kevin Lee of NBC he was frustrated with negotiations. That was back at Road America. We're quite a ways apart. And then Nathan Brown gets into what they're trying to do as far as options because we know Devlin Francesco unlikely to return to the number 29 Andretti Honda next year. That's a potential landing spot for Marcus Erickson. Um, and, and then beyond that, it, we thought Romain Grosjean was a slam dunk. Well, now it seems iffy at best as far as him I still retained. think he's back. I, know, I still I think he's back. DHL yeah. apparently wanted him in the car, so... Yeah, I don't helpful. think he's going anywhere. But then after that, I mean, you're going to have a lot of open seats at a lot of the mid-pack, so to speak, teams. And then you have the the issue with Marcus Armstrong. You, you clearly want to see him get oval experience, but that's not happening this year at Ganassi. And then they need more funding for him to take over the number 11 car full-time in 2024. Now, if Marcus Erickson leaves, then you're out even more funding. So then Kiffin Simpson, who's the development driver for Ganassi in what is... Uh, what what we still refer to as Indy Lights, he could be in line for an IndyCar seat. Now, what's the connection there? Well, his father, Sir Kiffin Simpson, owner of Simpson Oil, they own a 20% stake in Parkland Corp., which owns Ridgeline Lubricants. Now, that's a sponsor for Ganassi Cars between Plo and, and Armstrong the last couple years. That's a lot of connecting the dots, though. Yes, a lot of money. And a guy who's, again, Kiffin Simpson, already a development driver for Ganassi right now. He's 13th in points among 17 full-time drivers with just one podium uh, so far this season. Yeah, I'm not high on Kiffin Simpson. Uh, well, if, if it comes down to needing money to to pay yeah, to keep, true. if you lose below, then you want to keep Marcus Erickson, then you're probably going to have to bring him in and find a way to make it work also so Marcus Armstrong can keep the ride. Yeah, I just... You don't want to lose all three, right? No, and I don't think they will, but at the same time, jeez, uh, there's got to be a better plan for Chip Ganassi than promoting a guy that's clearly not ready for IndyCar and Kevin Simpson. And then no surprise, Tom Blomquist, serious consideration for Meyer Shank racing. Shank saying everything on the table. They could replace both drivers, current drivers. Um, and then also they're trying to field a third Indy 500 only car for Elio uh, because Shank's deal with Andretti Technologies runs through next season. So that's the Latest on Silly Season, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to come this weekend at Mid-Ohio. Yes, we always love Silly Season. We are due a Silly silly Season update of sorts from Marshall Pruitt. Maybe we'll get it in the next couple weeks. 
All right, time for news and notes. Not much to get to this really. Week. There really is not. I, I mean, that's about it. Um, a couple of things to get to regarding Andretti uh, kicking the the tires on a NASCAR entry. Now they try this like ten years ago with Dodge, uh, but this from Adam Stern. Uh, Michael Andretti told Forbes in January wanted to get into NASCAR after getting admitted into F1, but now they're already on on NASCAR conversation talks there uh single day tickets on sale for the music city gp musiccitygp.com for that event it'll be interesting final year of the current course setup and then what what they do in the future moving forward there and then uh a couple of mailbag entries i want to get to real quick um (laughs) people people upset about our, our our takes uh Run underscore Mark underscore run. We need to figure out what Connor Daly did to Justin. Hashtag stop the hate. <laughs> uh, no, I don't think there's. Just, it's the results, people. Or lack thereof. I, I mean, mean, he's he's good at the Indy 500. We've learned that over the last handful of years. He's a top 10 caliber driver at Indy. But beyond that, you're running around in 15th, 16th, 17th place every I week. I think there's a lot of people that have a special place for Connor Daly because he's a, a native of Indiana, a native of Indianapolis. And I get it and understand that. But I can distance myself from that attachment and mm-hmm. judge him for the results or lack thereof. Yes. And I think some people, I'm not saying it's it's right or wrong. Some people can't. I can. Yeah. It, look, I mean, I want him to do well because he grew up in Noblesville. Yeah. Um, Stone's throw from you. Yeah from where I grew up, but in, and went to high school with one of my friends. So, but the reality is the results are the results. It, it's been over a hundred starts in one podium. Yeah. And you carrying yourself with a sense of, um, entitlement that you haven't earned at Ed Carpenter racing, um, doesn't endear yourself very well. And owners talk, man. Yeah. And, and they're going to be, they're going to ask Ed, I'm sure they have already, what was that about? What happened? And he's going to be honest with them. And that's going to shut some doors for Connor Daly going forward. R. Cole saying this, Connor Joe for Carlin, Carlin blocked new track record, hashtag indie rivals. <laughs> I forgot they, for, they, they, yeah. uh, they yeah, blocked we don't, us. We don't have to worry about Carlin anymore. Are we, we were unblocked. Yes. Right. And now we it doesn't matter. Yeah. Now it doesn't matter. No, not at all. <laughs> so that was a quick look at the mailbag. I think we have one tweet of the week uh, that was sent to us uh, as far as sent our way from tweets of the week and uh, from P Gaynor 14 uh, sending us this from the Hester Cution on Twitter in any 500 winning championship contender. And it's, you know, the Drake meme uh-huh. and it's a picture of chip pushing away and then <laughs> an underperformer with oil money and chip, you know, photoshopped over drake yes. pointing at it so i thought that, that was that's, excellent yes that's my thing but I, i've i've called out chip ganassi for being cheap for but i'm saying when you look at it and and you're paying scott dixon this much and alex Pillow wants this much and marcus erickson wants to be a pay driver so you're going from effectively zero to millions of dollars it's a lot of money to find and when you lose ntt data like you did this season you lost uh, Carvana going into this season, which was a big part of the budget as well, is I, I. It's easy to say Chip Ganassi needs to go out and find more sponsorships. I get that, but at the same time, that's a hell of a lot of money that you're forking out for for teams. 
Roger Penske and Team Penske makes it look easy, but it's far from it. And you mentioned Carvana. I want to send our best wishes to Jimmy Johnson's family. If, oh, if terrible. You it. Just to his wife's parents. It was a murder-suicide, and then uh, their nephew, um, Jimmy and, and Chandra's nephew, which would be his wife's parents' grandson, also there, uh, all of them killed in that situation in, in Oklahoma. So Jimmy not racing this weekend at Chicago, obviously, and and best wishes to his family with all that. Just a, a crazy, insanely terrible situation. Yeah, there's there's really no other way to describe that. All right, time to... Get to our random split era driver of the week. Okay, so it's up on your screen. I'm still trying to find it on my phone. Oh, it it's not actually. It's not up. <laughs> oh my gosh! Hold on. Well, let's. What uh, year? No, let me let me bring it up. I have it here somewhere. Um, we're going. Is it IRL this week? No, it's uh, 2002 cart. Is where we're going, and we're going Michael Crum. Who? Yes, sir. I've never Michael heard of Crum. this guy. <laughs> from uh, Germany, if I'm uh, not mistaken. Uh, Michael Crum, German motorsports driver. He appeared in, let's see, uh, he started in Formula Ford, all that stuff, but looking at his career in terms of when he was in kart, it was just one race, I do believe. Um, no, it was two races, my mistake. Uh, in 2001, excuse me, so oh, okay. 2001 okay. cart. Because he had Andre Lauderer in 2002. Yes. So 2001 uh, cart, Michael former, Crum. Yeah, a former uh, random split era driver of the week, Mr. Lauderer. But he he appeared in two races, Monterey and Long Beach. 23rd at Monterey, 15th at Long Beach for Dale Coyne Racing. It was two and done that season for Michael Crum uh, for Dale Coyne Racing. Did a lot of German Formula 3, did a lot of Japanese uh, formula some gt racing as well some super gt uh did a lot of, of that type of driving but in terms of um in cart just two and done and not a lot of details on it as well uh i didn't know if you could you were able to dig up anything else but um well, what's weird is so coin that year it was they did uh monterey and long beach and that was it for both cars. Those are the only two races they did all year? Yeah, for Michael Crum, who was a rookie, and then Luis Garcia Jr. Uh, from Brazil. Uh-huh. And that was it. No points scored. Uh, they had different scoring back then. And then in 2001, 2002, they only did a, a couple of races. They had Darren Manning uh, do a race, and then Andre Lauder do a race, Mexico City. That was it. But then 2003, they're, they're back in force. So it was just a, it must have been a couple of lean years, and then they were back. So looking at it, it says um, the team struggled to stay afloat in 2001 following a short-lived partnership with the Project Racing Group that only enabled the team to contest two races that season. So Project, of course, we know what Project Project Racing was Project Indy, basically, ah. is what it was. Um, and was able to do a one-off the next year for Darren Manning and then had Andre Lauder with his only start in Mexico, and then was able to return full-time in 2003. So 2001, 2002, Dale Coyne was on the brink, and bringing in Michael Crum for two races was basically all they could do that season, along with, Louis, was it Luis Garcia Jr. that did the yes. other two races in the other car? Um, but that's it. It was two and done for Dale Coyne Racing that season with both of its drivers, one and done the year after. But uh, one of those two and done drivers, Mr. Michael Crum, this week's random split era driver of the week. 
All right. Well, thanks to Skip Barber for joining us for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. We'll be back next week to recap the Haunted 200 at Mid-Ohio on New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.